Welcome, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius. It is a Monday edition of the show. Hope everybody had a great weekend, and thank you so much for joining us as we start a new week and get a day closer to the NFL draft, which we're all very excited to be covering live uh, in Tampa, Florida, when the Bucks make all of their picks. But today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the defensive side of the ball. The big news last week was, of course, that Levante David, their captain, their star player, a legend in the Tampa Bay community, re-signed with the Buccaneers. So a lot of the core pieces coming back for one more season. Does that mean that the defense can improve this year? Will it be the same as last season? Can they prevent a drop-off from happening? We're going to talk about all of that, plus a lot more on today's show. I'm your host, Matt Matera. Joined with me is my co-host, and the face that runs the place at pewterreport.com, Scott Reynolds. And also joining us, our colleague from pewterreport.com. He woke up feeling dangerous knowing he was coming <laughs> on the podcast today, Josh Capo. Josh, welcome back to the show. And Scott, hello as well. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing very well. Thank you, Maddie. I always enjoy your intros. I never know where you're going to go with them, but they're always a great place. Well, the, the backwards hat kind of set it up for me today because yeah. as we were just talking about before the show, Josh, you are wearing your hat backwards today in homage of one of the newest Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, yeah this is my first podcast since the Bucks signed Baker. So I there wanted to make sure that, you know, I, I paid, as you said, homage to him and uh, and his backwards caps. You want to just give us real quick? I know we're going to talk a lot about defense today, but your overall thoughts on the signing of Baker Mayfield. I know we had a lot of discussions about Baker against Jacoby Brissett, but want to give you the floor since Baker is now a Buccaneer and you can say how exciting he's going to be and not boring. Yeah, I think from a coverage standpoint, it's phenomenal. I think all of us in the media are excited to cover Baker because he's n nothing if not exciting, that's for sure. You know, there's always a quote or or something to go with him, and, and he certainly brings a lot of personality. Um, from a football perspective, I think it was a low-risk, high-potential-reward um, signing for the Bucks, and I think Dave Canales' offense um, caters to all the the best attributes of Baker. Um, you look at his kind of high-water mark season, which would have been 2020. 2020, yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, that was in an offense. That was when he was fully healthy, and he was in an offense very similar to what Dave Canales is going to institute. So for you know four and a half million dollars, uh, which is in these days a pittance in the NFL for a quarterback, um, there's a ton of potential upside. Um, and the downside is you end up seeing what you have when Kyle Trask by the end of the season. So, um, which the Bucks were fully ready to do before signing Baker. So, um, very little downside, lots of upside. Yeah, totally yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, I don't really have much more to add. I think it's going to be an open competition. It's low risk, high reward. I think, uh, you know, we talked about this last week on the show, and I'll just kind of sum it up real quick. Adam Slavon made a great point where he's like, Andy Dalton got like $5 million and Taylor Heineke got about $10 million or whatever it was. Are you really telling me like Andy Dalton is that much better than Baker Mayfield? No, not really. At least right. I, I, don't, I don't know what you guys think, but I don't necessarily think that's the case. So Bucks got Adam, a really good bargain for, you know, for what as long doing. as he's not talking about Aaron Rodgers, Adams has, <laughs> Adam has amazing. <laughs> points, right. That's true. That's true. Well, the other thing too is Baker Mayfield is the only quarterback in the NFC South with a playoff win. I mean, mm -hmm. Taylor Heineke is, is I think, it was 0-1 in the, in the postseason. Andy Dalton's 0-4. So uh, at least Baker's got that going for him, in addition to the Buccaneers having his lower salary, you know, yep. um, absolutely on, on the, the table for them. So that's good. We're going to talk a little bit of defense today, though. That's near and dear to my heart, as many yes. of you know. A You're a defensive guy. guy? I am. Surprise, what? surprise. I know. What? It's, Bit of a shocker, but yeah. You've I kept am. that as a well-hidden secret for years now, right? I know, I know. And I begged to be an offensive coordinator for the South Pasco Predators, and they said, nope, only spot we got is D.C. and defensive line coach. So I said, all right, fine, whatever. You yeah, know. the way you criticized Byron Leftwich, people would have thought you are offensive. I know, <laughs> I know. I just want that offense to get better. That's all it was, you know. So, um, No, but, you know, it, and the funny thing is, is we, we did have some comments on Twitter about the title of today's show, you know, and I'll throw this up there again. Can the Bucks defense prevent a drop off, you know, from last year? And, and what we mean by that, and, and while it bears a little bit of explaining, is because I saw some comments on Twitter saying, oh, the Bucks defense wasn't that good last year. 
you know, well, it was the better side of the ball for sure. And the reason why we say, can this defense prevent a drop off from, from last year? And of course it can get better. There's room for improvement. Don't sit there and think that this is a top five defense by any stretch, but it was the better side of the ball last year. And Back in in the day, back in the day, back when I started covering the Buccaneers in the 1990s, you know, Warren Sapp was famous for saying, give us 17 points, we win the game, right? That's all he wanted out of that Trent Dilfer offense that under Tony Dungy was just 17 points. In other words, the Bucs defense could hold teams under 17, and if they had 17 on offense, they could win the game. Well, I think what you guys would agree, in the modern-day NFL, that standard's kind of raised up a little bit. Scoring is up from you know, two, three decades ago. And, and as a result, I think 21 points is a fair threshold. And if you look at Tampa Bay last year, and we've said it before, bears repeating in 10 of their 17 games, the Bucks defense held their opponents to 21 points or less. That's winning football in today's uh, age of football. And they were seven and three in those games. So, you know, and you look at one of those games was the Packers game. They lost what, 14 to 12, just because the offense was so inept and Mike Evans was out of the game, right? So in that game, they held a team to 14 points, and that was one of those three losses. But, guys, they only won eight games last year, and the defense was largely responsible for at least seven of them because they were 7-3 and in those games when they held opponents to 21 points or less. Yeah, I think – I think there is a little bit of conflation with the Bucks defense in terms of they didn't go up against a lot of great offenses. And so maybe they got a little overhyped from that perspective. But when I was looking at, you know, um, and, you know, for better or for worse, these are their PFF grades against, um, against different uh, offenses that they face. You know, the Green Bay Packers, which finished 15th in points scored, the Cincinnati Bengals, which is one of the better offenses in, in the league, and the Dallas Cowboys, which was one of the best, better offenses in the league, those were three of their top six PFF grades. You yeah. know, yes, they struggled against the Chiefs. Yes, they struggled. Um, yeah, some would say they struggled against the Seahawks. They kind of did in the second half there. Yeah. And then the Ravens game, again, first half great, second half yeah. terrible. Um, those were some of their lower scores. So when everything balances out, maybe the balance of their schedule wasn't against the greatest offenses in the world, especially because they were going up against the NFC South, which you know featured some not so fantastic offenses. Yeah. I still think that they were take everything out, strip it all of context. I still think they were a top 10 defense. And to your point, Scott, they absolutely were a reason why the team made it to the playoffs. It certainly was not that offense. Yeah. <laughs> so that's for well, sure. Yeah, I, I would say this, and Matt, I want to get your reaction on this, right? So, yeah. so Tampa Bay allowed 21.6 points per game last year. And as Monty Kiffin once told me, and this is not just a, a Kiffinism, this is any defensive coordinator, yards are one thing, don't care about yards, it's points. Points win games, not yards. Uh, Tampa Bay ranked 15th, which is just about middle of the pack, in points per game, 21.6, right? And there were there were a couple teams at with you know Tennessee 21.1, Denver 21.1, Jacksonville 21.4, Tampa Bay 21.6. So there's a lot of teams in that 21 points per game kind of threshold there. So Tampa Bay gave up 21.6 points per game, did not have the benefit of playing ahead in almost all of their games because the offense had dropped from 30 points per game down to 18 points per game. So having said that, 21.6 points per game by this Todd Bowles defense, which suffered some you know, big-time injuries, Shaq Barrett being the biggest, mm-hmm. that's that's off just a bit from 2021 when this team went 13-4. and four, They allowed 20.9 points per game. So there's it's, it's a less than one point per game differential. The offense drops from 30 points per game to 18 points per game. The defense drops from essentially uh, 20.9 points per game to 21.6 points per game. Hardly any uh, uh, noticeable drop-off there. Now, there were some other things, third-down conversions, uh, interceptions plummeted, right? Sacks, you know, were a little skewed because they didn't have that big-time pass rusher this year. Uh, Vita Vea was your leading sacker, 6.5 from your nose tackle, played B. The, the the three tech uh, quite a bit and attacking the B gap, but Matt, it wasn't a big drop off in the defense. So that's kind of why we're justified in saying this defense probably is going to do okay this year. If there is, if there isn't a drop off. 
Yeah, it's very interesting because I think the point that you can make is statistically, the Bucks didn't really drop off that much. Not in every category. Obviously, like turnovers was a huge hit. Um, but I think what really hurt the Bucks more than anything else is one, just the offense with the the constant, uh, you know, up and down play and and going three and outs often. So the defense had to be on the field more and, and keep them in games because the Bucks weren't scoring. But the Bucks defense just didn't really pass the eye test. And you know, you go back to what Levante David said yesterday when he spoke to the media, and he said a big thing was. Um, turnovers, number one, and I think we all yeah. agree with that because of that drop-off. He said third downs as well. And, you know, I was kind of thinking, you know, getting the third down stops, that's where, you know, sacks come into play. And, I, yeah. you know, obviously with the you're thinking, well, maybe they didn't, like, really get a ton. But the Bucs still had 45 sacks on the season. That was tied yeah. for seventh in the NFL. So right. if you're saying that this team, as far as the pass rush goes, they're top ten in the league – all right, that's pretty good. I think a lot of fan bases would really sign up for that. But then when you realize Shaq Barrett underperformed, JTS, very polarized figure in terms of yeah. is he on the right track or is he becoming a first-round bust? We can save that conversation for another day. Um, so I, I think optically the Bucks defense didn't really pan out. I think some of the glaring – third down conversions and or third down stops, it actually isn't as bad, again, compared to the rest of the yeah. league. But then you go back and you watch and you think about that Steelers game where they converted multiple third and 10 plus, third and yeah. 12. And it's like, this defense is too good to be allowing those type of stops. So I really think is one, we held them to a very high standard. Understandably so. I, I think another example is, you know, the, the run game. There were so many oh, yeah. times when that stopping was a the drop run. Off. They got absolutely, you know, gashed up the middle and and to the outside as well. It was just like we've never seen this with the Todd Bowles defense before. Yeah, and still at the end of the day, seven and three when allowing twenty one points or less. So this team was able to stay afloat, I think, for the most part. And that's why um, it's like can they can they keep the house together for another season? Does it completely break apart, or are they a right. much stronger foundation? because of they know where to pick it up next year. Yeah, and, and Josh, let me just get your thoughts on that too, right? I mean, talk about drop-offs. We talked about the offense, 30 points per game down to 18. That's a kind of a catastrophic drop-off right there. And points, again, more important than yards. But Tampa Bay allowed 121.1 yards. The first couple of years under Todd Bowles, this, this Bucks defense was just you know the best, if not one of the best, in terms of, of run defense, right? And, mm -hmm. and they made a little bit of sacrifices to to be a, a little bit more uh, shutdown oriented in terms of the passing game, right? Not not so lopsided. Because uh, you had a couple teams, Rams come to mind, that just would forego the run because they could pass the ball in the Buccaneers. But Josh, the Buccaneers in 2021 during that 13 and four run, they only allowed 91.6 yards per game on the ground and that ranked third in the league and yep. then last year i mean they they allowed 30 more yards per game on the ground and that's 121 yards per game and they fell from third to 15th and i know that's something that we talk about sacks and even though sacks are kind of a skewed statistic right because it's it's one play right i mean yeah when, when you have 45 sacks in the season that means okay you had 45 really good plays but <laughs> out of the hundreds and hundreds uh, of, of plays that you have uh per you know per year but th that's that's really one thing where you look at the ravens game that got away from them in the second half mm -hmm. the panthers game that was a seven nothing carolina lead at yep. halftime that game got away from the in the second half that was an area that Tampa Bay really did notice a drop off. Right. And, and Scott, you know, I tend to look at, you know, a little bit beyond the surface level, just yards per game, but it's yeah. backed up in terms of like more analytical statistics as well. Um, for the first few years of Todd Bowles's tenure with the Bucks, they were consistently top 10 in EPA per play um, in terms of their defense against the run game. Last year, that fell very similarly with the, the yardage numbers that you gave out there. They were 14th against the run. And I think that we saw schematically there were some changes to the defense where at the beginning of the season, it, look, it looked like there was a conscious decision that we're going to give up a little bit more on the run game because we want to be a little bit more stout in the pass game. Yeah. Um, but even that didn't come to bear. And I think a lot of it came down to that second half. 
you know, those falterings weren't just in against the run game. They were against the pass game. And I think it was just kind of being left hung out to dry by the offense. You know, their offense against the pass, they were 17th in EPA per play. So they didn't get that extra juice right. on the pass side that they thought they would. I don't think it was for lack of talent or scheme. I think a lot of it came down to just the, the defense was gassed at the end of the game. Some of it may be a little schematic. Um, you know, we, we've had some private chats where we talk about slot receivers running, um, you know, seam routes, and, and the Bucks defense <laughs> struggled to, to pick those up. a hard time up. against them. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but in general, the defense was good enough to be a playoff team and, and yep. carried them there. Um, but they have not replaced a lot of the bodies that they have been losing this offseason. There are still quite a few question marks if you were to try and pencil in their starting lineup right now. Yeah, for sure. And and I think one of those too, uh, we 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 praise Jason Light for all of the the hits he made in free agency in the draft and mm. trades like like Rob Gronkowski, which was kind of a no brainer. But the Jason Pierre Paul one comes to mind in terms of helping the Bucks win the Super Bowl. But you know, Akeem Hicks did not have the the season at all that that uh, they were hoping that that, that not for the price. Be- not for the price, and and also too, uh, with with Indomitian Sue, even though he was was clearly losing a step, if he has a strength, it is his availability. Never missed yep. a single game in Tampa, and never missed a game due to injury in his career. Only missed a game due to suspension. But Hicks missed some games. Surprise, surprise. He's aging, and that was kind of his mo at the end of his Bears career. And that was his only sack of the season, Week 18. And he lined up as an edge rusher to get that sack, too. So he didn't even really provide that one-two punch uh, inside as, as a, a, a pass rusher that they were hoping, right? Because you look at Will Golston, you know, who remains unsigned. And I, I believe if the numbers can, can come into both camps' favor, I think Golston comes back on a cheaper one-year deal to provide some depth. Uh, but, you know, he had four and a half sacks at career high in 2021, zero sacks last year. And the Dominican Sioux had six sacks in 2021. And so you look at his replacement, Akeem Hicks, and he had one. So the the pressure, the sacks, the pass rush was not there really from their defensive line. Uh, and it wasn't there from the outside linebackers either. This was really a manufactured unit where you had a lot of backups like Anthony Nelson getting sacks. Yeah. You had, uh, uh, you know, Anton Winfield getting to the quarterback. Uh, that's going to happen because they like to blitz their slot guys. Levante David had to step up in the sack department, and and he did with uh, with three sacks. I think he only had mm-hmm. one and a half the year before, or, or right. something to that nature. So, um, Matt, can you go back a picture real quick? I think I figured out why Hicks didn't deliver that one-two punch they were looking for. And I'm pretty sure it's just because he was too busy giving headlocks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Watching a little yeah. bit too much wrestling. Yeah, but I, I mean, we talked a lot about how they want to get the Bucks want to get quicker on the defensive line, and uh, and you know Sue might be losing losing a step. Well, clearly it didn't make that much of a difference. Right. Akeem Hicks only got one sack. Like I don't really yeah. care how much Indomitian Sue lost it a, a little bit, and. That's why I'm pretty concerned about the Bucks defensive line. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, yep. I don't have a ton of faith in Logan Hall right now. Like, we'll see. And listen, not every player has to be like J.J. Watt posting their workouts right. on Instagram and stuff. But I haven't really heard or seen much about Logan Hall. I don't know what yeah. he's looking like going to next season. But I think his his rookie year was, I don't want to say disappointing, but it, it certainly I'll wasn't at yeah. Okay, fine. It was disappointing. <laughs> it certainly wasn't anything Matt, where you feel encouraged about the next season. Oh, are you are you going to talk about him? Is that is that where you were going with this? No, actually, I wasn't. But I was going to say what's what's never disappointing is the fact that on Mondays we have this little thing called roll call. Tell us where you're at, Peter people. We have awesome fans all over the globe that watch the Pewter Report podcast. So we like to have fun with everybody on every show, but specifically on Monday. One of us will go on a little rant or a diatribe about something or related. And uh, while we go into that, we want everybody to put in the comments, everybody watching right now, put where you are watching from, and we will make sure we put it on the screen. And before the show, Scott, you said you had something that you want to talk yeah. about during uh, roll call. So why don't we get into it? And we'll start with Tom from Gainesville, yeah. Florida, as we start roll call. Really interesting, right? Because the topic of today's show is – is can the Bucks prevent a drop-off from their defense? And 
it's interesting because we want to see this defense play better. We want to see one of those edge rushers, and maybe it's Shaq Barrett hopefully coming back, f- fingers crossed for him, getting back to that double-digit sack uh, production. And In other words, a guy that can really threaten the quarterback and uh, and really make things difficult for an offensive coordinator, right, and and make, make them – change their game plan a little bit to just focus on stopping Joe Tryon Shawinka or Shaq Barrett or whatever like that. That's where the Buccaneers, and especially when they have two guys humming like they had with JPP and Shaq, that, that bookend tandem, that's really where things, uh, you know, came to life for the Buccaneer defense in that Super Bowl run. So having said that Tampa Bay enters free agency and we're already, you know, well into free agency now, but they enter free agency with 22 undrafted, I'm sorry, uh, unrestricted free agents. Tom Brady was 23, but he's retired. Most of those were on the defensive side of the ball. Now, they've only lost a couple of, of players in free agency, but a couple of those were some depth guys, Sean Murphy Bunting and Raheem Nunez Rochez, uh, and then also Mike Edwards. So there are three guys that they've lost in free agency, all on the defensive side. Edwards was a part-time starter. Um, and so it, when you look into this draft, it's interesting because they still have some bodies that they need to re-sign. I think Will Golston might be one of those. Hopefully, Logan Ryan will be one because right now they only have two safeties on this team. That's right, folks. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Antoine Winfield Jr. is one of them, and uh, the other guy is Nolan Turner. You remember him from the pre- from the preseason. Nolan Turner, yeah. undrafted free agent from Clemson. So for those people that don't want Brian Branch drafted uh, or think that safety is a wasted pick early, no, it's not because they only have two of them on the roster. Okay, so it's interesting. Tampa Bay still has some work it needs to do on defense to um, prevent a drop-off on the defensive side, but also hopefully make Todd Bowles' unit better on that side of, of the football. At the same time, though, where was the weakness, guys? It was on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. This team needs some <laughs> speed. This team only scored 18 points per game. This team doesn't have Tom Brady anymore. So where do you spend – not just your draft capital because you have nine picks and maybe the Bucks trade up. We know Jason Light likes to trade up a little bit in some of these rounds and, and grab some players. But when you have nine picks and, and you only have three of them within the, the first two days, they don't have a fourth rounder either. So you've got one first rounder, a second rounder, and a third rounder as of right now. I'd like to see the Bucks maybe trade down and, and pick up an extra third rounder or maybe even a second rounder. But where do you distribute that draft capital, especially those premium picks? Do you, do you spend it on an offense that you've kind of weakened, especially along the offensive line with uh, trading away Shaq Mason and cutting Donovan Smith and, and having to really improve that side of the ball from a points perspective because you got a rookie play caller and a new quarterback and an unproven quarterback in contrast? Or do you want to maintain this defense and hope that it gets better? Because if Todd Bowles' defense does take a step back last year due to attrition, and this offense doesn't really rise to the occasion. Folks, there's no chance the Bucs make the playoffs this year. Josh, go ahead with your thoughts first. Uh, well, I couldn't agree more. And I think what, what they end up, what they ultimately have to do is balance those two things. I don't yeah. think they make the choice. I don't think they say we're going to focus on defense on the draft or they're going to focus on offense. Um, Scott, you and I have had some extensive conversations where we do really think it's going to kind of be a back and forth affair where yeah. they're going to use roughly half their picks on one side of the ball, roughly half their picks on the other side of the ball, and probably take a kicker in the second round. You know? (laughs) (laughs) You sick. You sick, man. (laughs) So, um, but I... Wait, why are all these people leaving the chat? Why are these people (laughs) stop doing the podcast? What's happening here? We're just kidding, folks. They're going to take one in day three. Okay, that's what Jason Light does. He drafts kickers. The man's going to draft... This is, I mean, hey, this is his, he drafted his kicker a this year. pro bowl kicker. That's right. That he did. kicker just did not make the pro bowl with the Bucks. That's right. Yeah. That's the issue. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, it's to, I think on the back end overall, you're missing, you know, that starting safety next to Antoine Winfield. Yeah. We know that the Bucks are high on yeah last year's fifth round pick zion mccollum they did a great job of bringing jamel dean back they've got the you know three fourths of that you know secondary starting secondary kind of figured out um it's the front seven that i think maybe you you've got some worries about now here's the the interesting thing and i think it it i'm going to use it to prove a little bit of a point that i tend to go back and forth with fans on is despite the 
defensive line taking several steps backwards last year, right? Joe Tryon Strinka didn't finish the plays that he should have finished. Shaq Mason, I'm sorry, Shaq Barrett did go down and the production behind him wasn't the most stellar. And then of course the interior defensive linemen, they didn't step up and get the, all the sacks that they should have. They still came out with about the same amount of sacks yeah. year over year. And that is because Todd Bowles is so great at generating sacks, right? Yeah. But the big issue that the front seven had was consistently generating pressure, which right. I think goes to prove the point that, that I typically try and say, which is it's the more predictable thing. It's the thing that on a play-to-play -play basis is much yeah. more necessary for the success of a defense is creating more pressure. And I definitely think that they need to use one of those day one, day two picks to address creating more consistent pressure up front. The nice thing about the this year's draft class, when you look at some of the um, deeper positions, I think they line up very well with some of the Bucks' needs, right? right. It's a fairly deep at the top tackle class for yeah. the, on the offensive side of the ball. It's a fairly deep secondary class for a couple of different things that the Bucks may have needed with Jamel Dean's re-signing. I don't think there's that need for that outside corner, which this was a really deep corner class. But there are a lot of intriguing slot options between safeties and corners there. Um, and it's a relatively deep class in terms of creating pressure with um, on the defensive line. Now, yeah. where that pressure comes from, we can debate. I think, Scott, you and I are both a little low on the interior pressure class yeah. or interior defensive line class yeah. but on the edges they could potentially really help bolster their outside linebacker room because i think day two there's a litany of guys who are really intriguing have yeah. some really great and there's one right there <laughs> so yeah. um, i'm not gonna and uh, thank you for using yeah. for doing his name because i can never pronounce it correctly sure. so somebody uh, like him one, will mcdonald those guys are are all potentially available on day two yeah one note about him uh I mentioned this in SR's Fab Five, and uh, he will be, Todd Bowles will be at the K-State Pro Day. So that's an interesting little caveat there. He, to my knowledge, has not been any Pro Days, but he's going right. to K-State's. There's there's Felix Anadike Ozama, who did meet formally with the Buccaneers, Julius Brents, the cornerback. Uh, we also like uh, uh, Derek Hall from Auburn. He's a fantastic uh, player, as is Isaiah McGuire so, uh, from Missouri. So there's there's definitely some some day two guys that, that could be there in the mix for the Buccaneers for sure. I'll, and, I'll add KJ Henry as the only Clemson defender I actually liked out of yeah. a draft class where they put a lot of guys out there. Yeah. <laughs> he actually had a lot of nice things to say about uh, Nolan Turner from the, the year that they played together. But to, to get back to the original question, yeah. the, the right answer is that, you know, they'll address both sides of the ball and yeah. they'll go and win a Super Bowl this year, but that's not always. <laughs> How it works out. I just feel yeah. like it, if if we're slanting this discussion to like which do they need to address slash help out more, I still do think it is the offensive side of the ball. Not really yeah. for it. I mean, a big part of it, of course, is the holes missing on the offensive side of the ball. But at the end of the day, I still trust Todd Bowles to kind of get the job done with regardless of if they're lacking on the interior defensive line or they yeah. don't typically or specifically, I should say, find that slot corner um, in this year's draft. Because I think, okay, if they're not getting the the pressure from whether it's the uh, defensive line or edge rushers, yeah. maybe Devin White will turn into the blitzer that he was a couple seasons ago, where he had nine sacks and probably would have got double double digits if he you know if he didn't get COVID at the end of the year and had to miss a yeah. game or two. Um, you know, he has all those exotic blitzes, so they'll right. still get in the face. Of the quarterbacks. And, well, I, you know, I think the biggest thing is it kind of goes back to that point about stopping the run. They got to do a better job yes. getting into third and long. Because when, when, you're, when you're in third and four, that's kind of no man's land for a defense. Mm -hmm. You still run a draw. Uh, it's just, it's so much harder to defend or so much easier to defend third and seven, third and eight than it is third and four, third and three. And the Buccaneers got themselves into too many of those third and short situations last year because and they, they didn't couldn't. stop the run well enough on first and second down. And that takes away some of those pressure packages you're talking about, Matt. Yes, it, it absolutely does. And that kind of hurt the Bucks in the past too, where they would get to third and longs and yeah. then they like, they play this soft zone and allow right. the first down or play off the ball, which would really be frustrating. Yeah. And the big stat that we keep bringing up is that the Bucks were seven and three when they only allowed 20, 21 points per game. That still means the Bucks offense has to score at least 22 or have a, a solid day. Unless you get one of those, 
rock fights, as I like to call it, yeah. like a 12 to 9, 12 to 6 type of game. So the Bucs can't really afford to do that this season. And another thing that kind of hurts is for the majority of the season, the Bucs offense did a pretty good job of holding on to the football. Sure, there were a couple of games where there were multiple yeah, that's, turnovers. That's Tom Brady. The, right Bengals, yeah. the Bengals game. But, you know, the fact that they weren't scoring points and they weren't turning over the ball is like yeah. a huge problem. So you got to you got to address that offensive line. You need to add another running back. Speaking of, Speed of, a, would be great of addressing, Big Al is addressing the kicker position. He is campaigning for the Buccaneers to draft a kicker in the sixth round. He just says, don't do it in, in rounds five and above. But sixth round, get a kicker. Big Al also uh, wants to address our edge defender, or I'm sorry, the team's edge defender. Yeah. Um, Hole in the second round with Andre Carter. No, and I cannot. No, I cannot no, sign no, on to that at not. all. No, oh no. my goodness, Big Al! Yeah. If you would have been at the Senior Bowl with us, you would be so far out on Carter. You'd be back in. Yes, for <laughs> so, for sure. Uh, we have so, a couple of a, a couple of of um, you know of uh, of nice comments to get to here, but uh, we would be remiss, Matt, if we didn't talk about. Uh, you know, the company that pays the bills here. And that is uh, our favorites, energy drink. Celsius is the official energy drink of Pewter Report. Uh, just look at those cans, folks. Holy smokes. Fantasy vibe. Yeah, it tastes like fantasy vibe. If you know what fantasy vibe tastes like, well, it's mandarin orange and marshmallow. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty, sparkling that's a pretty concoction. awesome combination. And we know yes. love cream skull. It's like drinking an orange. It is. And it, it's, it's fantastic. And there's the orange too. I had uh, one of those over the weekend. I had uh, a Fuji apple pear this morning, which is fantastic in the afternoons. I love the, the sparkling lemon and live, which is one of their new flavors. And, uh, and, and listen, flavors, this is where it comes down to folks. If you want the energy drink, it's going to be the best flavor, tropical vibe, Arctic vibe, peach vibe, and the best energy without the sugar crash. It's Celsius easy game over draft pick number one right there. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because there's no sugar in Celsius. That means no sugar crash. You get all the energy, all the taste. Where can you find these, these delicious energy-packed beverages? Well, you can find them at your local uh, grocery stores, health and fitness stores, convenience stores, or what's the other term I'm thinking about, Matthew? It is a bodega. Bodega. That's right, bodega. Go to Celsius.com. Click on the store locator. And uh, punch in your address and uh, and find out where Celsius is sold near you. Once you find the flavors you like, order on, on Amazon and save money with the subscribe and save option. Yeah, please do. Love Celsius. Um, we got a, yeah, a couple of comments we'll get into. Um, <laughs> I just like this one from Dave Canals. Uh, SR, how can you recall so many detailed statistics from memory? It's amazing. Love what you guys do. Go Bucks. This is What's the only thing stuff? I'm good at. That's it. This, this is it. And, the only and, thing folks, I'm good at. It is not just statistics. Scott can tell you the fourth round pick from 2007's draft. I mean, anything and everything Bucks historical, he is he is the almanac, which is well, absolutely I, fantastic. Uh, and one of the things that we, we enjoy I, so much about it. I, I, I appreciate you sucking up like that, Josh. That's fantastic. <laughs> but um, truth be told... As I get older, and and for you, um, uh, middle aged and, and older crowd out there, you might you might uh, kind of uh, catch my my drift here. I'm, I'm at the age where I can remember. Uh, you're talking about the 2007 fourth round pick. Like I can remember a guy's uh, where he went to school, what position he played. Right? I can remember his height and weight. But, but damn it, I can't remember his name. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's 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 like what I call like like the, the non bullseye uh, memory. It's like where you hit everything but the bullseye. Like, what's the guy's name? Right. That's why I have to look stuff up because I, I can remember things, um, kind of sort of well, but I'm I'm losing a little bit. Well, this Not guy they drafted from Washington, JTS, has to yeah. improve drastically to justify. His playing time. I think it's it's a huge year. I'm not ready to call it a make or break season for Joe Tryanchenko, but the clock is very much ticking on JTS. Yeah. Um, there needs to be improvement. Whether he's yeah. on the right path right now, um, eight sacks in two seasons, four uh, two seasons in a row. If he's going to be the guy, he can't have Anthony Nelson outplay him again, 
especially at the beginning of the season where we don't really know about Shaq Barrett. But yeah. Josh, you seem to uh, <laughs> he Anthony but, Nelson didn't outplay him. He just happened to have more sacks. You're talking about four plays over 17 games. That's it. That's the yeah. difference. On a play-to-play basis, JTS absolutely outplayed Anthony Nelson. Nelson just got a couple of sacks. And if you go back and look, well, JTS big sacks had – He did have two big yeah. sack fumbles. Absolutely. He had three. One, he had one. Three. Where he had – well, two of them I remember off the top of my head, and, and we know I'm not great with memory, but one of them he was completely unblocked. I guarantee you if JTS had been given that same rep, he would have gotten the sack fumble as well. Yeah. Another one. You sure, he wouldn't have just gotten close and almost brought him down. <laughs> that's a fair. That's a fair counter argument. The other one was, I believe, the tackle completely blew his set, and and Nelson was able to blow right by him again. Any guy playing at that level is going to make that play there. So JTS could have had about anywhere between nine and twelve sacks if he would just finish. Those, right. those tackles, and and I will 1,000% admit he has got to do better at finishing. So, yeah. But on a play-to-play basis, make no mistake, JTS outplayed Anthony Nelson by a wide margin. Yeah, yeah <laughs> now, it, it just it, – it, the thing with, with JTS is the, the effort's there. That's what I love. I love, I love the yeah. kid. Like He's yeah. fantastic. He, he's dude. a try-hard guy. The effort's there. The motor is there. He's got everything you want except for finishing, right? Yep. And as Warren Sapp famously told me and probably others in the media at the time, uh, you don't make Pro Bowls from pressures. You make Pro Bowls from sacks. You don't get paid for pressures. You get paid for sacks. You're and, absolutely and, right about that. And, and, and what and I will say is the, would you rather that's, that, that's where he's? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. I was going to say that that's, that's where he's he's got to step up because yep. because when when you get the pressure on, on third down, uh, uh, trust me, when PFF and these other people grade pressures, sometimes those pressures end up becoming completions, right? Like Dak Prescott um, was pressured mercilessly in the Dallas Cowboys season opener um, in 2021, and the Buccaneers won the game, and and he was pressured. He only sacked once, but he was pressured the entire game. Yep. Still completed 70% of his passes, right? And so the sack is the exclamation point it's the period yep. at the end it says oh, it's third down we sacked you you've got to to get off the field now that's mm-hmm. where pressures can or, or, you know sacks can be better but at the same time um I, I remember styles white led this team in sacks styles g white led this team in sacks i think at eight and a half back in the raheem morris days maybe it was john gruden i think it was john gruden at the end of his his tenure here but those eight and a half plays were so inconsequential <laughs> Yep. Throughout the game. So having said that and, and trying to defend sacks, a sack is only one play. And guess what? If you get a sack on first down, that's right. That's a, that is such a great that, – that should go those listening to the audio version of the podcast, JTS is like playing Mortal Kombat and you messed up the finish him button combo, says G Vegas. Exactly right. Absolutely. That's but, yeah, it's if you get a sack on first or second down and they end up – Con, you know, con, converting on the drive and getting their first down, it then sack didn't matter. Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of finish up my my diatribe on that. And, and I saw, I think it was Shaggy who asked, you know, um, or said something about pressures and horseshoes and hand grenades. Yeah. Pressures year over year are much more predictable. All right. It's a predictable way of evaluating how good of a pass rusher somebody is. Sacks are unpredictable. Okay, and you the best example of that is Shaq Barrett. He had 19 sacks one year at an unsustainably high conversion rate. Nobody expected him to do 19 sacks the next year. He was about the same pass rusher over the following two years, even though the sack numbers varied wildly. So pressures, it goes to predictability. Okay, now the the other thing that I will say is when you look at the skill set of Anthony Nelson versus, say, JTS and the, the sack versus pressure. Um, conversation. What's easier to teach? How to finish or how to actually beat another NFL player and get there, right? who's yeah. trying to block yeah. you? Yeah. It is much sure. easier to teach somebody to finish than it is to beat an NFL offensive lineman. So with that, I do want to kind of bring the conversation back to a point that Matt made earlier, and I think just kind of uh, a building off of it because I thought he had a really good point. The Bucks were set to lose nice. potentially three very impactful players on their defense. And really, 
they they absolutely brought back two of the three. The third one, it's a big question mark. I think most of us are not counting on that impactful player to return. And that's really just Shaq Barrett not returning to pre-injury yeah, um, form. All right. But if you look at all these players that they're losing on the defense, most of those players, I think their performances can be replicated, if anything, in the aggregate, right? Okay. I think um, Keanu Neal and uh, Logan Ryan played solidly as depth safety pieces. I don't think either one of them were, you know, transcendent performances. And I think the Bucks, between free agency and the draft, can potentially replace that that production and that performance. But the the two that they were able to bring back was Levante David, who I think also helps elevate Devin White's play, right? Yep. Getting him back, especially at the price they were able to, that was fantastic. And bringing yep. Jamel Dean back at such an impactful position. Dean's been a top 10, top 15 corner of the last couple of years yep. on a snap to snap basis. Those were huge. You look at the rest of the players, a lot of it was depth and a lot of it was complementary skill sets and i think with re-signing of anthony nelson you got a little bit of that complementary skill set brought back and i still i'm not super worried because they haven't really lost a high-end player outside of shaq barrett yeah most likely not being the same shaq barrett at least this first season back yeah, yeah that's that's a really that's a really good point um the thing that does can kind of concern me with some of the guys you mentioned that they re-signed with like levante and devin white um, if, if they are going to, or I guess what I should say, if there is that uncertainty with the outside linebackers or with the interior defensive line, I really do think it's going to be Levante and Devin White that are kind of the, the straw that stirs the drink for the Bucks defense next season. Cause yeah. like Levante was great last year. He had more tackles last season than he had since I believe 2015, uh, it, it, like just overall combined tackles, but I don't know how much can expect to play a full 17 game season again yeah and if, if you're have if you, if you have to rely on Devin White can Devin White finally shed a lot of the blocks and, and get better in, in stopping the run and, and continue to improve uh in his pass coverage like can Devin White really be the guy can Levante and Devin White really be the the dynamic duo that they were at one point and now it's kind of like eh, I don't know so a lot of it's will Levante continue his consistent play <clears throat> And can Devin turn into a superstar Devin White again? And then Jamel Dean, I'm not as concerned about him, but it just uh, it reminds me a little bit of a conversation we had about a separate player that's no longer on the Buccaneers. And that's it's a little apples to oranges with this. But Leonard Fournette, when he got that big contract, we, we kind of discussed on the podcast, will that contract kind of stop Leonard Fournette from like wanting to go all in and and – and go all out because, hey, I, I got my money. And that's kind of like what a lot of players do in their contract year. They ball out, then they get the contract, and some of them coast. And I don't think that's going to be the case with Jamel Dean. But I also thought – and I'm not saying that Leonard Fournette, like, slacked off really by any means. But right. clearly, when he was playing in a contract season, he was way better than when he was under contract. And then it was Fat Lenny when he got into OTAs and all that stuff. And he got into shape and – so, I don't know, that's in the back of my head a little bit with Jamel Dean. I do trust Jamel Dean that, you know, he's going to go all out. I think he likes the idea of the grave diggers with the Bucks secondary and him and Carlton back again. Mm -hmm. uh, just a couple of things that have really have uh, ideas that I that I floated around with, uh, yeah. with this defense. I think with Dean, there's still the opportunity for him to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder, right? The first few years, it's been him and SMB right? Who's going to yeah. be the starter. And he wasn't yeah. the starter till this past year. Then when he got the starter role, obviously he wants to ball out to get the contract. The contract came in, I think a little bit lower than most would have, uh, have thought myself yeah. included. Right. I, I think I did a, an article for pewter report where I projected him at much higher than the AAV that he got. Um, but I still think he has the opportunity because he certainly has the skill set. over the last couple of years, I would even argue he's played better than Carlton Davis, but Carlton right. Davis is paid like the one and Carlton Davis, I think is still considered the one. And so I think for Jamel Dean, the opportunity there is to say, you know what, maybe Carlton Davis isn't the best corner on this team. It's really me. So I still think there's that opportunity for him to create. And we know players playing at this high of a level, uh, Matt's going to have one on his favorite team and not too long. 
they love to build up these chips in their head, you know, on their shoulders, in their <laughs> their head, in their mindset, in terms of people don't respect me, and uh, and create those those arguments because it helps to drive them to the best version of their performances. Yeah, and I think the thing too that that uh, we've talked about it, and we'll kind of circle back around to it, that uh, that this defense has to get better at is is taking the ball away. Yes, because. Uh, you know, you you can't be a a cornerback like Carlton Davis, and you know he's shown he can do it before. He had four interceptions during the 2020 season, and we know Carlton's going to be in position to break passes up. But damn it, takeaways are important. They stop the offense from scoring points and to give the ball back to your offense, and it gives you a chance to score. Right? It's it's a huge momentum play, and you can't have the only interception of, of your season be off of a deflected pass that really wasn't even intended for your guy. Yeah. I mean, we appreciate that Carlton, but, but there's gotta be more than that, right? For Jamel Dean to have two interceptions in, in week two and then none the rest of the season. Right. I mean, these are the, yeah. the two Oh, you picked off Jameis Winston. Oh, so impressive. <laughs> right. And you did it twice, <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's like, You've got you've got nearly you, you got 27, 28 million dollars invested in your your two mm. starting corners. They can't combine for three interceptions in a season. You've got to have more than that. Uh, it, each one of them getting three would be acceptable. You don't have to like lead the league and get five or six. But right. I'm just saying, over the course, of, they even gave you an extra game, folks. You got 17 yeah. games now. We're not talking 16 games. You got 17. Let's see some more interceptions and not just. You know, from from the two corners, but also too, from you know the Pro Bowl center Antoine Winfield. This was a, a player that had his interception in Week One. And I, if my memory serves, and I'll check the statistics yeah. here because I'm not always right, but I believe Winfield only had one inter- interception because you had Mike yeah. Edwards have two, Ed Dean had two, Murphy Bunting had two, and yes, Antoine Winfield Jr., who talked about getting more interceptions this season. Had one interception. It was in week one and went over the rest of the way. And this is a playmaking guy. And I applaud Todd Bowles for wanting to move him back to safety and kind of get him out of the nickel. And and maybe that's going to allow him to kind of just see the ball a little bit better, maybe play some center field and uh, and not be so locked in on the slot receiver. Maybe he can get some of those interceptions uh, that are intended for other players. I hope that's the case. And I, I do want to give a shout out to Antoine Winfield Jr. Because I specifically remember, like, after training camps, you'll see some of the guys uh, over at the jug machine catching the ball when when practice is done. And a lot of times it's, like, guys that are on the bubble of really yeah. making the team. But Antoine Winfield Jr. was a guy that was out there all the time. Didn't really matter when it yeah. was. He was trying to get better at, at, at holding on to the football. And I don't necessarily like I'm not saying Jamel Dean Carlton Davis aren't putting in that time like they're not they're not uh, doing enough reps to to make catches and, and get more interceptions. But I don't really know exactly what they're supposed to do to a point of like, OK, if you do a thousand reps a day or a week or whatever on the jugs machine, like is it sometimes just the opportunity isn't always there? I feel like with Carlton, it was a lot. Yeah. Carlton had a lot of chances to get the interception. Yeah. And always drops one. interceptions, and it's, yeah. it's unfortunate. But he's, I want they, to address this comment from Tony as well. It says the secondary yeah. seems lost even when it's an obvious pass play. That goes back to 2021. I mean, I hate to bring up the, the yeah. playoff game against the Rams, but it, it is I, – I they did get beat a lot last year too. But for a team that's been together, I think Jason Light the, at the – combine when we spoke to him had a really cool thing to say when he was like yeah when we won the super bowl nine of the 11 starters on defense were on rookie contracts so yeah there's no more excuses with like blown coverages and stuff like yeah. that i understand it'll happen from time to time especially in a todd bowles type of defense but these guys have played together for so long now it can't, it yeah. can't continue to happen this yeah, season I, i'll push back on that from tony because the bucks had one of the lowest explosive play uh, passing explosive play rates allowed in the nfl okay which is typically what happens when your secondary really isn't doing great now a lot of fans really don't like the fact that the bucks tend to allow a high completion percentage from quarterbacks but a lot of that is underneath stuff that is not the responsibility of the secondary it's the responsibility of dropping edge rushers it's the responsibility of the linebackers underneath and the scheme is designed 
to allow the catch and no yards after catch. Right. If you it's remember going back to like, to, pre pre to prevent uh, right. the 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 uh, the explosive plays without exactly and so the the scheme has worked in that regard this past year because the team got better with the exception of a couple of guys at stopping the yards after catch right they right. were they were much better at tackling um once a receiver caught the ball so yeah. the scheme was working you may have issues with the scheme as a yeah. fan because you don't like seeing those high completion percentages but that's a, no i'll tell you what, tell you what fans have a problem with josh it's this right here it's communication issues for an offense it's execution we got to execute better right nobody yep. wanted to hear tom brady or byron left would say we got to execute better right and it was a communication issue. Nobody wants to hear Bowles say, you know, we had a miscommunication. We got to cover down the field. We understand yeah. that. Yeah, that, that was a day one install. We, you know, we, we get to communication issue. They don't want to hear that. But by God, it's the truth. Okay. I'm just telling you. And, and, and you're right, Josh, to your point. It, it didn't happen very often. The ones where it did happen are the huge glaring ones, right? Like what Matt was talking about earlier, those third and 16 plays yep. against the Steelers that just, I think that was the game I'm talking about, right? You were talking about that too, Matt? That. That game where they yeah, they that, like, I mean that was definitely one of them for sure. Yeah, right. But those are the memorable plays. The DJ Moore, uh, yeah, DJ the DJ Moore against the the, Bucks the, the wide open there. touchdown pass uh, in the Cowboys playoff game where Carlton Davis didn't get the switch right, and you got a receiver. I think it was CD Lamb who was wide open in the end zone. That's what fans hate to see. And you know why they hate to see that, guys? If I'm being frank here, and my name is Scott, but I'm going to say Frank. <laughs> they, they hate that because there's no wide open receivers for the Buccaneers. That's why they hate it. They hate to see it. The few times it happens against Tampa Bay's defense per year where there's a coverage bust, because by and large, pretty smart players on defense. I think the scheme's pretty sound, but by God, there's no open wide receivers for the Bucs offense. Yep. That's why they're pissed because yep. they don't get those same opportunities to see Mike Evans and Chris Godwin well, actually, there was one wide open. Mike Evans one. Oh gosh! And he dropped it. So <laughs> he did. He did. But now I think. Um, I rest my case. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. And I'll call you Frank, or I'll call you Scott. Just don't call me Shirley. Um, but Christopher Cole, I think he has a really great point there in terms of how the Bucks could potentially augment their scheme a little bit and we saw that in the cincinnati Bengals game right yeah, that press man on the show yes. yeah, yeah 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 so so carlton davis locked up jamar chase in a, in an extremely elite yes. way because for that game bulls just let him off the leash and said just you know put your fist in his chest and don't yeah. let him go anywhere and he did that now for those people who are advocating for more press man myself included you have to be willing to allow for the downside of that because you're not always going to win that press, man. You're not always going to win that jam. And right. that's when you will see those explosive plays allowed because if a receiver beats that press, especially if it's in cover one, now they're off to the races. Yep. So there's that balancing act. The Bucks play a ton of cover three and cover four. They maintain the top. So you don't allow those big explosive plays, but the, the, um, downside of that is they do a lot a lot of underneath completions i would love to see more press man but with that you would allow more big downfield completions yeah well it, it, listen um i don't have a great segue so what i'm gonna do is <laughs> sorry mark cook rest in peace my good friend right, uh, i tried to think of one as as the time was winding down before there was a little break in the conversation josh and I just couldn't do it. So I mean, I'm just going to play on the age rejuvenation one. About that. As we age, our hormones decrease, both for men and women. I was tired all the time, had no sex drive. I was groggy. I felt like I was 80 years old because everything hurt. I came to age rejuvenation because I was tired all the time. Bioidentical hormones has really made such an impact in people's lives. I actually enjoy shopping now. Got my, all my energy back. Mind is sharp. I feel like I'm 18 again. It was perfect for me. Get with age rejuvenation. Do it now. Don't wait. Call age rejuvenation today. I'm slipping a little bit, folks. Slipping. But I could be slipping a hell of a lot more if I didn't go to age rejuvenation because I turn 51 next year. That sounds really, really old. But I don't really feel really, really old because I go to age rejuvenation. And you can check out their website, agerejuvenation.com. Folks, go there and sign up for a free, no risk, no obligation, complimentary consultation 
and get your testosterone checked. Insurance will pay for that. And you might have low testosterone. It's okay. That's normal. That happens in absolutely most men once they hit their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And they're even seeing even more men in today's age in their 30s with lower testosterone than normal because of diet, lack of exercise, things like that. So they have got five Tampa Bay area locations to serve you. Right now, they're offering $500 off your testosterone therapy, your first treatment. If you mention Peter Report, it's a fantastic deal. AgeRejuvenation.com. Sorry, I blew that transition. That was just um, ah, that was fine. Listen, just, you can't be rookie stuff right there. You from can't me. nail it. All Matt, we had a chance to have the best time. podcast that we've ever had. I blew Damn it. it. <laughs> just like Kansas State blew that game against Florida. Ah, oh, man, I felt bad. Well, I had to bring it up. I was happy that they got that far, but hey, listen, yeah, did Kansas State blow the game? The refs I blew believe, the game. There you go. I believe yeah. through our okay. text, you, you established it was somebody else. I, I was rage texting. I was really <laughs> pissed because they're seven footer. Uh, what he finish with two fouls? I mean, how many over the backs are you going to give that guy? Yeah. Uh, and, and our All American fouled out with five fouls, only playing 18 minutes. Sorry, Keontae Johnson. Uh, no, listen, uh, I, I can't, um, I, you know, I, I got to be a man about it. Florida Atlantic, hell of a game. They, they won the game, they did their part. It wasn't like, uh, like, uh, you know, k-state deserved to win and florida atlantic you know stole it no florida atlantic where well, they did steal it because they 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 won they scored more points and, and they're a hell of a team so uh, south listen, florida is like the basketball capital of the world and not listen, US, florida that's atlantic like, they've actually, only lost three games the whole year south florida with boca and uh i know fau in miami exactly. all of a sudden florida atlantic's like, only lost area. three games I see what you did there with legitimate South Florida. I see. Well, I I mean, USF is not in Southern Florida. (laughs) Like, it's in Tampa. Tampa's on the West Coast of Florida, and it's not that South. If we're fair, um, the University of South Florida is really in Central Florida, but that name is already taken. UCF has that. Yeah. (laughs) We're just, we're picking on Josh, who's a, who's a bull, you know, alum. But, uh, Um, but no, listen, uh, I, I, I have to say a great run uh, by by K-State and make it to the yeah. Elite Eight. We were picked last, last folks in the Big 12. To finish inside the top 10 in basketball was awesome. Uh, what's the old saying? Um, don't cry because it's over. Smile because you got there. And it happened. So there we go. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely should be proud of what Kansas State yeah. uh, did this season in, in football and, and basketball. It's been quite a um, Did want to put this comment on. Felix Schmidt said, put white on the edge. No, absolutely not. Uh, yeah. I know he's got the speed, but I don't think he's big enough. And if he's getting stoned by running backs, he is not going to fare well against tight ends and offensive tackles. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Well said, Matt. There you go. Um, I, I, listen, we've, we've had a fantastic show here, and uh, I'm, I'm going to try to not blow this transition. So um, what I'm going to say is, is, you know what, guys? Let's retire and go to Colorado. How about that? At Amuni Financial, we help you live in the now. Congratulations, we're so happy Thank for you. you. Thank you. And even though the now may feel very different, you still need to plan for the future. How's retirement treating you? Oh, just fantastic. I know I say it all the time, but you really got to come up to Colorado. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. We can help you develop that plan to keep you on track so you can still prepare for tomorrow, today. Amuni Financial. Plan ahead, stay ahead. That's right. The Bucks are planning to have a really, really good draft. They're going to need it, folks. Todd Bowles needs it for his job. Jason Light needs it because uh, they need a lot of good players. Uh, and you need the right people in your financial corner. And, folks, I'm going to recommend Immuni Financial. Why? Because Immuni Financial has been doing this for over 40 years. they got plenty of experience in a wide range of financial services, from advisory services, brokerage services, legacy and retirement planning, investment banking. Hey, how about setting up a college savings accounts for the kiddos? They can help you with that too. Not just in the Tampa Bay area, folks, not just in the state of Florida, but across the country. Immunity Financial can help you plan ahead and stay ahead. Visit immunity.com and give them a call at 1-800-868-6864. And when you're done calling Immunity Financial, make sure you like and subscribe to our social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we are at Pewterport. And then on our YouTube channel, which we're on right now at the moment, it is at Pewterport TV. If you like the podcast, if you like the various clips we put up, um, have a lot of great things coming up during draft season, our live draft show at the end of April. Uh, please Woo! just like and subscribe. Takes you a half a second. Um, it's absolutely free. 
helps us get those numbies up and helps more people know about PeterReport.com. But that's going to do it for us on today's yeah. show. For Josh Capo, for Scott Reynolds, I'm Matt Matera saying thanks, everybody, for watching. And we will see you tomorrow for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Oh, peace out.